Hey, this is Heath Padgett, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast. This is episode 35. Welcome to today's show. The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly podcast where I interview nomadic entrepreneurs who are running a business while traveling full-time. On today's episode, I interviewed Paul Singh and Dana Duncan, who are traveling around the United States in their Airstream on a tech tour. Paul is a previous partner of 500 Startups, a well-known seed fund and network of startup programs in the Bay Area, and Dana has been an advisor to multiple coding schools across the country. A few things we talk about on the podcast today are how Paul is trying to connect investors with entrepreneurs in more rural parts of the United States, and why you no longer have to live in Austin, New York, or San Francisco in order to get access to funding. And to me, this is the biggest thing that we that we cover in this episode. Uh, it's, the, it's the coolest part of living in 2016, about to be 2017, is the fact that we don't have to move to one of these bigger cities in order to get access to funding. You can live in a small town in Texas or Oklahoma or wherever you'd want to live. I'm sorry, why would you want to live in Oklahoma? No, <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. My bad. Uh, if you're from Oklahoma, I'm sorry. But you can travel, you can live in an RV and, and, and go wherever you want to go and you can still get access to funding. The important part is that you start. And this is what today's episode we really dig into. Paul is an experienced and active investor. He walks us through the process of this changing landscape. Today's episode is sponsored by the RV Entrepreneur Summit. This is a summit we're hosting outside of Austin, Texas in February of 2017. So if you're listening to this episode before February of 2017, we would love to have you join us. The RV Entrepreneur Summit will be a gathering of RVers or future RVers who are interested in working on the road, starting their own business, or learning more about the RV lifestyle. The conference will include speakers, workshops, and panels where current RVers will share their experience of building businesses on the road. Plus, we're working on planning group hikes and wine tastings in the area to keep the weekend fun. You'll leave the weekend with more ideas on how to generate a remote income and a few new friends who can help support you along the way. Really, this is something that has been in the back of Alyssa's in my mind for quite some time as we've been meeting more and more people who aspire to go out and live on the road, take their business with them as they travel. And this is a chance to bring all these people together in one place, bring people like you who are listening to the show or maybe one day want to go out and hit the road or maybe you're already out traveling. Uh, one of the things that I'm most looking forward to is just being around other people who can generate more ideas and who are already out traveling and running their business on the road because it's community. It's a chance to bounce ideas back and forth to get feedback from people and also hear some different insights and things that I haven't thought of before. So it's going to be an amazing weekend. If you have any questions about the event, you want to come, you want to hear more details, shoot me an email, heath at campgroundbooking.com, and I'll follow up with you. Make sure you're on the wait list. We have about 60, 70 people on there already. Uh, I'm not sure how many we'll cap it out at. It'll probably be around 30 to 40, maybe 50 rigs uh, if we get that many people. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun. And just reach out to me, heath at campgroundbooking, if you have any questions. All right, without further ado, let's get into today's show. All right, we're live. So I typically write out these intros, but Paul and Dana did a great job describing their tech tour on his LinkedIn. So I'm just going to rip it off of there uh, to do this introduction. In 2016, Paul and Dana are driving across North America. Well, they have been driving across North America to visit the places that startups actually start and grow their businesses on something they call a tech tour. At each stop, they've created a week-long series of events for entrepreneurs and investors. And over the past five years, they've flown hundreds of thousands of miles, raised lots of money for venture funds, and 
and invested in a lot of different companies all over the place. Uh, and along the way, they've been mentoring a lot of entrepreneurs, visiting incubators, co-working spaces, holding investor dinners, and doing lots of cool different things. And they're doing it all from their pickup truck and a custom-built Airstream travel trailer in parentheses, and I quote, because America. Thank you guys for being on the show with me. <laughs> no, thanks for having us, man. So talk to me about what life looked like right before you guys hit the road and what some of the decisions were leading up to going on this tech tour. Yeah, well, so ultimately it was really about like what our lives looked like a year and a half ago was just sitting on airplanes every almost every single day. So I had been doing almost a quarter million miles a year just sitting on airplanes for like five years. Um, and, and, uh, do you never have pay for a plane ticket again? Cause you just racked up so many miles at this point, you know, you would think, right. But the bar has gotten so high. I would meet professional travelers that like made my travel look like amateur hour, you know? Wow. And I like, so there are guys that are doing mileage runs every single day and I, you know, they just get off on just sitting on airplanes all day. I mean, I, I got to the point, I think at the worst of it, where I was doing like 80 red eye flights a year. And by the end of 2015, you know, the way it was for, for Dana and the way it was for me, it was like, it's almost like we would only see each other when we were doing laundry at our place in DC on the weekends or something. And so, uh, <laughs> Dana's giving me the, an eye <laughs> here a little bit because I actually never told her about the Airstream until we bought it. Um, <laughs> So the gist of it was I was sitting there and I was thinking, okay, professionally, how do I go to places like I wanted to keep meeting more tech companies, right? But I didn't want to sit on these airplanes. So I didn't want to change careers, but I wanted to kind of like not do what I was doing. So the thought was professionally, how do I go to places where other investors aren't going, you know, that are typically one to two flight connections off of the main hubs. And then the second side, the second part of that was personally, how do I spend more time with Dana and our dog? And we've got this like 120 pound white lab named Jack. And the thing was somehow through process of elimination last year, I'm like, I got to get an Airstream. And that's probably a podcast in of itself. But the gist of it was, I was like, well, if Tony Shea, who sold Zappo has an Airstream trailer park. Airstream, yeah. <laughs> and, and if Matt McConaughey can live in an Airstream and if every Apollo mission astronaut can live in an Airstream, I was like, surely we could live in an Airstream. <laughs> so the process of elimination was I could start another company. You know, I moved to D.C., uh, I can move back to the Bay Area, go to Austin, and then just randomly an Airstream was thrown in there somehow. Just yeah, I mean, you know, it was just kind of like, I mean, I guess I was also getting, I was I was about to hit 35 years old, right? And I, this, I don't know if that's old or young, but the thing is like I was hitting 35 and I was like, why do I need stuff, right? Why do I need so much stuff? And I don't know, I mean, I could pr tell you some romantic story about how we like got to the Airstream idea, but it was just kind of like, what if we just like downsize? Why don't we go, why don't we optimize for experiences rather than things? Both Dana and I live lived, I guess, spent a lot of years in the DC area where everything is sort of showy. And by the way, both I've never had an RV. Dana's family never had an RV. Dana and I had been camping a grand total of one time together ever. Uh, so it was a huge logical jump for me. And um, anyway, long story short there, uh, we get this Airstream. And then it was two days before Christmas last year in 2015. I'm like, hey, Dana, let's 
let's go on a road trip up north. I'm going to jump in here. <laughs> yeah, because I'm just thinking in the back of my head, Dana. Alyssa and I, when we went through, we've been married now almost, well, I guess, like two and a half years. And before we, we did this premarital counseling, and there was this little exercise where you basically write down a number for how much money you're willing to spend and not tell the other spouse. And it's a funny range to look up and see, like, I think mine was like, I don't know, a few thousand dollars or something like that. And Alyssa's was like a hundred bucks. If you like spent over this money, you need to, you know, talk with your spouse. And she said it was really funny to see the disparate, you know, choices between people. So I'm just curious, like we're Airstream, like I'm buying an Airstream ranked on that list. (laughs) Yeah, that's, um, that's a special number. Um, Like Paul said, we had both been flying so much for work. So we would, we would literally have dates in airports that were not DC. We are connecting flights would meet up and we'd have dinner. Um, so we get back to DC. It's two days before Christmas. It makes absolutely no sense. But he says, let's get in the car and drive north in the rain. Um, but but I'm, I'm like a hopeless romantic and I have convinced myself he's taking me to Rockefeller Center and we're going to see the tree and it's going to be And about 90% of the way there, we take a hard right turn to like the armpit of New Jersey because he has this like he just has to see this Airstream. He just wants to check it out. He saw it was there online. He just wants to check it out, and then we'll keep going. <laughs> so I had convinced myself, okay, we're just going to see this Airstream, and then we're going to go to New York City, and it's going to be amazing. And um, so we get to the Airstream, and and Paul's like, what do you think of this leather and this granite? Isn't this beautiful? I'm not showing her a bunch of Airstreams, just one. Just one. And he keeps asking it. And after about 30 minutes, I mean, it's only 200 square feet. So after 20 minutes, I'm like, this is really great. It's getting dark. We should get going. And um, I turn and just out of the corner of my eye, I see that it's sold to oh someone. Oh, my gosh. Sing. And I have a feeling at that point it's ours. So um, needless to say, we did not go into New York City that night. We actually slept in the parking lot of the Airstream dealership. Well, well, to be fair, we did go to Walmart first and buy supplies. Because we had nothing. Because we had nothing, yeah. <laughs> then, so that's how, Bold that's, move. Bold. Yeah. So um, he, did, he did it the right – I am thankful he did it that way. I think – our generation is is prone to be very practical or, you know, in our 30s we were. Um, and if he, had, if he had asked, I probably would have had a lot of reasons why it wasn't a great idea. But because I really didn't have an option, um, we made it work. And it's actually been such an incredible experience this yeah. year. And, and so um, I actually don't hate the way he did it. Just... Just, it, it makes for a good story now. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking in my head, what, you know, what would you have done if she would have been like, dude, this is not... I, I do not like this rig. <laughs> well, to be honest, I hadn't thought about that eventuality. I was convinced. I was convinced that I was going to get her to love it. It's it that, actually, over, it's that overwhelming you, optimism that you need as an entrepreneur and as an investor, man. Yeah. Like, you just have to be an optimist. But then I, you know, we we took about a month or two to kind of like you know learn how to use it. You know, we'd never, neither of us had ever dealt with like tanks and batteries and water and all that stuff, you know, and, and there's so there's a bit of a learning curve because we were trying to become full timers. And so learning how to like think about showers different and, and all that stuff. It was just it was a learning curve. And then we left. We left D.C. Um, in March and we thought we wanted to understand what it was like to live, work and play uh, in other cities. Now, I think like I love what you guys did with the Hourly America stuff. You, you guys really took it. You know, you, you really spent a lot of time, I think, learning what it was like to live, work and play in, in those industries. And I kind of wanted to 
I think we wanted to kind of do it for the the subset of like I guess a slightly different crowd, like the entrepreneurially minded crowd. And um, and so here we are, six or seven months after we left DC, we've been to forty one cities now. 38 states, I think. And we've lived there. What we do is we like park the Airstream behind a local co-working space and we like mooch off their Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> Monday through Thursday, we'll park behind an air, uh, behind a co-working space in some city and then put on events for found, uh, for entrepreneurs and for investors and like economic development people and all that stuff. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we'll go to like BLM properties or campgrounds and i don't know it's been fun man i mean i i just i think everybody should do this at one point in their lives yeah i agree and i think everyone thinks about it but they don't necessarily take the leap and by the way i need to give you the hookup for my my wi-fi guy i got a wi-fi guy and uh get the hookup on uh unlimited verizon wi-fi while you're on the road yeah man you so know, it's, yeah I mean, go ahead so bad in my life right now. I'm yeah, telling you. it's a life changer. Seriously, I mean, I couldn't do this podcast without it. And we got it earlier this summer, and I mean, it's been pretty much life changing for 140 bucks a month unlimited Wi-Fi from Verizon. So, um, anyway, one of the things that really you know strikes me about you guys, which I think is really cool, is I was I graduated from college and I jumped into this software technology community. So I was around the accelerators. I went through incubator myself at one point when I was even in college. And so I was just around a lot of these people and it's it's so different than, first of all, what I thought it would be. And also just, I guess, what I felt was right. I wanted to be an entrepreneur because you know, I was reading all these books in college and you know Steve Jobs and, and all these other people thinking like, oh, you can go out and build something that's your own. And, and I saw all these people in, it just wasn't really what I thought it would be. And I didn't really know how Hourly America was going to connect those dots for me. But over time, by identifying a need in campgrounds and seeing that they need a better online reservation process and having the time to understand the industry better, I found a need here. And but it, but at the same time, I feel, I know I'm kind of rambling a little bit. I usually don't like to talk this much, but I'm, I'm just kind of vetting through some of this in my head. I sometimes I feel like I'm at a disadvantage because I'm not back in Austin or I'm in Bay Area if I wanted to like go out and raise money or things like that because I'm living in an RV and that's weird. And I don't know. What do you think about that? First thought on this, you know, I, I think people tend to, there's a lot of stereotypes about traveling in an RV, right? So in my opinion, I feel like whenever we show up in a random place, you know, especially in a lot of places where we don't know anybody, I think people kind of make, they assume one of the three things is true about us. Um, number one, they're like, oh, these are RV people. They must be hillbillies, which maybe we are. I don't know, but we don't, I don't, I don't know. I feel like we're not. <laughs> Nothing wrong with hillbillies, but I don't think we are. Uh, the second assumption they'll make is they'll say, oh, these people must be like old. And then we hop out of the truck and we're like in our mid thirties. And um, then they're like, oh. And then the third, and I think actually the most disturbing is they think somehow we're like millionaires or something and we're not working. And and I think that is really disappointing because I think people don't realize how affordable it is to kind of um, do the RV life. And I think that's a good way for me to sort of segue into your question, which I, I think sort of – By the of way, gets... it, was a, it was a crappy question, but go ahead and try to answer it. <laughs> well, I, I think like, – well, if, well, tell me if I answer it the wrong way, I guess, because I think like you're you're kind of like pointing out this thing – you're kind of pointing out this 
sort of new reality of the nature of work actually changing. And I think for most of the people listening here today, I think the reality is most of our parents probably worked one job in their careers. That's what they did. They got a, they they got they became adults and then they you know worked somewhere and had a pension and they worked their 25 or 30 or 40 years or whatever and then they retired. I think for a lot of people in our generation now, like you know, let's just say you're in your 30s plus or minus 10 years, we're probably all going to work four or five jobs across the course of our lives. And I think our children, a lot, and, and you know, whether or not we have kids yet, but like our children are going to work four or five jobs at the same time. And if you want to see the beginning of that, just, I don't know, get in any Uber or Lyft and ask the driver what else they do. And so I think the, the reality is you can work from anywhere now. You can like, you like being an entrepreneur is more than just learning how to code or anything like that. I think it's really about, you can work from anywhere for anyone, you know, at any time of day now, and the internet makes that possible. And so I don't know, like, you know, when you kind of try to compare that to the stuff we teach our kids in school today, there's a huge cognitive dissonance there, right? I feel weird for anybody that's graduating. Like, I, I don't want to be like too, um, what's the word, too provocative here. But like, I feel bad for anybody graduating from high school or college today. Because like, if you graduated from high school or college 10 or 20 years ago, you were basically like guaranteed a job, you just had to go find it. And for the kids graduating from high school and college now, they kind of have to be prepared to make a job. The problem is our schools don't teach them that. And so I don't know, like I, I might be a little bit all over the place on this, but but I think the reality of it is that you can you can like you can work anywhere for anyone doing anything and the Internet really makes that possible. And I think with an RV, like you get to see much more of the world way more of the world. I, I think, you know, Dana and I, we, we were just adding this up the other day. Um, I think since March, we've done about 25,000 miles. This is going to sound, this is going to sound really grueling. We've done about 25,000 miles, 39 cities. And we mentioned that to somebody the other day when we got back here. And the first thing the guy says is he goes, man, that's the circumference of the earth. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, I guess it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I, I think that if I could stress anything to anybody listening to this is like anybody can be an entrepreneur. Like being an entrepreneur doesn't mean you have to like jump up on your desk and like kick a stapler across the room and like start something new and bet your whole future on it. The best entrepreneurs I know are sort of the least risky people I know. And you could be an entrepreneur just working on the side on something, you know, and just use an RV for three or four nights a week or you could just jump in full and do consulting and, and live full time. I mean, there's just so many opportunities. I think the number one barrier to people's sort of success tends to be themselves. No, that, that makes a ton of sense. And it's interesting because when I was thinking about back in college, uh, I had a buddy and I was working on, I started my first business. It was a t-shirt uh, company, just like a little printing t-shirts while I was in school. And I had a guy who was helping me out doing some accounting stuff and he had a health thing. And afterwards he was just like, you know, I'm too young for this and I want to go travel. I want to experience more of the world before I just go heads deep and, you know, running a business and worrying about all this stuff. And I, I genuinely remember thinking to myself, how stupid, you know, like how, what, what are you going to get from going to travel? And, you know, like, why don't you just focus on building a business and then you can make a lot of money and go see the world. And it was a very narrow, and, but I literally remember thinking that. And I just think back, you know, now I guess the biggest thing I've been uh, talking about on this podcast when I'm interviewing people like my buddy, Kevin Halesh, who has a an app called Moment I interviewed and it's got like 3 million downloads and he's just killing it. And it's doing really well. And, you know, I'm thinking like for the first time ever, we don't have to choose between 
if you want to go travel and experience the country or, you know, starting something of our own or even, yeah. you know, making a living, like we can do both. And this is the first time we can do that. Yeah. I mean, why defer your life? Right. Like, I, I don't know. I just, the tragedy, like the tragedy of a lot of people that I've met that are a lot older than, you know, all of us on this right now, they work their whole lives to save up a 401k because like, you know, society told them that you're supposed to like, quote unquote, work hard until you're 65 and then you retire and then you got like 20 or 30 years left to enjoy the world. Well, the problem is, you're, you know, your body starts to break down a little bit. And then frankly, then 2009 happens and you lose that entire 401k. And then what? So I, I just think like, like, I just, I'm not encouraging people to be reckless. But I think I think we should I think everybody listening to this should really question the like the truths they've been told growing up, right? Question the idea of RVs being shady. Question the idea <laughs> of like people think yeah. of trailer parks as RV parks as the same thing and they're one hundred percent not the same thing, just for anybody listening who doesn't know that already. <laughs> exactly, man. Like exactly. And like, you know, the things the things I thought were gonna be hard turned out to be easy and the things I thought were easy turned out to be hard. And, you know, I want to hear from Dana. Dana, what were some of the things that you were most scared about before you guys hopped in the RV and started RVing? Oh, um, well, this would moving into the Airstream was actually the first time Paul and I had lived together. So um, <laughs> same here. I like, same here. I like to make it hard. <laughs> yeah, let's just jump right in. Yeah. So um, so yeah. So but that's been a really great uh, test, right? If you can work with someone and build a business with someone and live in under 200 square feet. Um, that's a pretty good tell that things are, are functioning properly. Um, but I, you know, just the little things like I, that I thought were going to be challenging were just having my normal coffee or my normal routine. But for the most part, it, our life in the Airstream has not been much different. Mm -hmm. We've learned to think a little different and we've been much more strategic on what comes into the trailer has to be essential. Um, mm -hmm. but, mm -hmm. but on the flip side of that, that's actually gotten us to be a lot more organized yeah. and we really do value the things that we have with us. So it's been a good experience from yeah. that angle for us as well. What was hard for you? What was hard? Yeah, what was hard? That's not a trick question. No, really. <laughs> Wi-Fi is terrible. That's why like trading Wi-Fi is like, I imagine trading Wi-Fi amongst RVers is like, like trading drugs amongst, I don't know, teenagers. It's like, no, literally you know, whenever I heard about this unlimited Verizon plan, I heard about it through, there's a, there's some RV bloggers uh, named Technomadia and they do a lot of stuff with just getting internet on the road and they have this mobile internet resource center and they got this guy and basically this guy, I think from, this is what I told to the grapevine. That's why it even sounds like a drug deal that he, I think he had like a, an unlimited amount of unlimited plans or something like that. And, at, you know, when that was a thing and then afterwards, you know, when Verizon was like, hey, we're not doing unlimited plans anymore, he, he still had access. So he just started renting them out. And I was like, that's brilliant. So I just, you know, text him when I need, you know, when we needed the hookup and, you know, he hooked us up and it did kind of feel like a drug deal, but an awesome one because it's worked out really well. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd sign up for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, but I, I do think, I think for me, one of the hard things was power. Like, like, like. Okay, so this is going to maybe come out a little weird, but if you decide to live and work on the road, invest the money in the lithium setup, you know, like get lithium batteries, you know, get a hybrid inverter. Um, and I don't care whether you get solar or get a generator, but like just do it because there's something so good about just being able to treat your trailer the same way you treat your house. Before when we had, you know, regular um, gel acid batteries or whatever, you know, you're thinking about how many amps are in there and you know, like you've got to have 50 amps or bust or, you know, whatever. It was a very binary choice. Um, when we made that 
upgrade that decision, you know, it definitely sucked on the pocketbook, but man, the quality of life was just instantly night and day. And it was like, okay, now we're, now this really is a home and you're not really as worried about power as you used to be. Yeah. When you guys did, did you do a solar setup as well? Yeah. So we, we met, okay. So yeah, we did, we did, uh, I think we have about 900 Watts of solar on the roof. We've got 600 amps of lithium batteries on board. We've got a hybrid, a 3000 watt hybrid inverter on board. And then we've got a, um, a Honda 3000 generator as a backup in the truck bed. And some people would argue that that's overkill, but for us, particularly for our lifestyle on the one side, we wanted the inside of the trailer to never feel like I just never wanted to, I wanted to be able to like flip on the TV and not worry about it. Like I just wanted to feel like a house. And then on the outside, like we didn't know where we we're going to park, you know, whether we're sitting on BLM property or let's say we're, pl- we're parked outside of, you know, a co-working space that only has a 15 amp outlet that I had to open a window to get access to. I just wanted to take any power source I could find and blend it into what I needed. And, um, this is going to sound so shady. Now I find myself, I think both of us, we find ourselves everywhere we go. We're like scoping out the nearest outlet. We're scoping out like the nearest water spigot. (laughs) (laughs) And and we're like constantly like asking people how much data they have on their phones. (laughs) That's funny. So whenever you guys were thinking about doing the tech tour, talk to me, just give me the brief overarching highlights of some of y'all's career points, like touch points, like you were at this position or this company doing this for the few years leading up. Cause I want to dive in and start talking about the tech tour and what you guys are actually doing out on the road right now. Yeah. So, uh, do you want to go first? Sure. Mine's probably less exciting. Uh, so <laughs> yours is way more stable. That's for sure. 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 <laughs> um, so degree in finance, my dad had worked in the same job for 35 years. And so when I went to college, it was still that time where you, um, you get a degree and you work for the same company for 35 years and you get a pension and you retire and everything's great. Uh, but I graduated in the worst economic downfall of our, um, of our lifetime. So hopefully at least, um, so I started my own business, became a serial entrepreneur, sold a couple. Um, then I, one day signed up for Twitter and about 24 hours later started working with a crazy man who wanted to rebuild the future city, uh, which ended up being Paul. So Paul and I built uh, a company together for about a year, which we sold. And then I went to work for a coding school. Uh, Cause I think it, the coding schools are a way for um, adults to break into the tech industry without having to go back to school for four years, which I think is a really important thing because who has four years to go back to school and the tech sector is blowing up. So um, that was really important. And then about a, three or four months ago, I actually joined the tour full time. Um, well, before that, you were flying in and out. Yeah. 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 But yeah. So, I mean, just, yeah. Anything else on that one? No, that's good. Yeah. So like background on me, um, immigrant from India. Uh, I was a bricklayer. Um, so I lived in this little fa- small farm town about 35 miles west of DC in Virginia called Ashburn. And back then it was really just a farm town with an airport in it. And I was a bricklayer in the mornings. I, uh, went to George Mason university in the afternoons. Um, and I sold cars at CarMax. Um, and anyway, fast forward from there, I, and I started selling cars to these people. I was like, how are you able to buy cars and all cash? Turned out there was this startup in town called America online. And, um, 
So I ended up joining it as an intern, learning a lot about technology. And I'll tell you, at that point, the biggest mental change for me was understanding that things that you couldn't touch actually had value. That was the interesting thing about the internet to me. So started a hosting company about six years later, sold it in 2004, five years later, sold it in 2004. Um, we built our own data centers eventually uh, before we sold it. And actually, um, just out of pure luck, we were in the right place, right time, and roughly around 50% of the world's internet traffic was going through those six buildings by the time we sold them. Um, I ended up messing around for a few years. I spent time at you know big companies like Symantec. I uh, did a lot of consulting for small ones. I tripped and stumbled around, and then around 2009, I started um, investing in companies, did a bunch of angel investing. I ended up co-founding a venture firm in 2010 called 500, did that for a couple years, and then I started kind of getting really interested in, you know, we noticed that a lot of our companies after we fund them would start working together. Remember, this is before 2010. It doesn't sound like that long ago, but in 2010, there weren't co-working spaces, right? So I, I got really infatuated with this idea that by 2013, we noticed that all these companies that we would fund all over the world, they would kind of like pull together into these little co-working spaces and these like, like things like that. And so... I just got really interested in that, and that's kind of what Dana was alluding to. I, I started to kind of rebuild this little city in, outside of D.C. called Crystal City. That's a story for another time, but we took it from 50% vacancy to under 3% vacancy in about a year and a half, almost two years, um, all by focusing on entrepreneurship, um, which is really neat. And so that is what got me really interested in the tour. And, and so the point is that it was like, okay, well, what's it like to do this in smaller towns, right? Because Crystal City was 8 million square feet and we could rebuild it. So that's the abridged, very abridged, very abrupt kind of story is that like we're both entrepreneurs. Uh, we've been investing in companies now. And this year we just wanted to go to places where other people don't go, um, particularly cities that have you know less than 200,000 people, oftentimes less than 50,000 people. Um, and our mission, ultimately, I can tell you now, a year later into this tour, our mission is to sort of build what I would call uh, an API to venture capital and functional expertise. Uh, that That's sort of the gist. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. So building an API into v venture capital, what, is, what does that mean? What does that look like? I mean, I, I know what yeah. an API is and I know what venture capital is, but exactly what do you mean by that? You're trying to give more companies access to venture capital that may not otherwise get it in some of these smaller areas? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, I, I, now I'll warn you, I have a, I have a tendency to overexplain, but I just kind of want to like make this like really clear, especially to the people listening is that, you know, I think what a lot of people forget, including people like me, is that if you think about it, the people listening to this audience or this audience right now, we are probably the last generation of people that lived in the post-internet and pre-internet world. Speak right? for so, yourself. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so, or you were born in like 2002? <laughs> 90. <laughs> so I'm kidding. But, um, you know, the thing is like, I grew up in this farm town, right? And before the internet, as a young guy growing up, my choices, like most people in this country, if you grew up in a town that didn't have internet back in the, you know, pre-1990s or whatever, you had, a, you had three choices when you, when you became old enough to work. Choice number one was to work in whatever industry your town had. So like mine was farming or construction. That was it, right? Option number two was you would work in an industry that supports your main industry. So if you don't want to work in farming and construction, cool. Why don't you wait tables, work in the bar, uh, work at the hotel, you know, you know, those kind of support industries, right? Or option three was just get on a bus and leave, go somewhere else. Th those were your three choices. And when the internet came, when the internet really rolled out, um, 
all of a sudden you could decouple what you could do from where you were living. Um, you could like, let's just say you were an accountant. Well, now you could do outsourced accounting work for companies that might be a thousand miles away. And that, that sort of shift I think is really profound. And so the reason I'm doing the tour, the way that we are doing the tour is that now more than ever, people are doing really interesting things from cities where they might want to be close to families, or maybe they want to be close to the outdoors, or maybe they just like living in certain places. And fundamentally, I noticed that the business of venture capital was changing. When I first started investing in companies, and this, I promise this is all related to this API to VC and, and, and functional expertise, but like when I first started investing in companies, people told me that all I had to do is sit in Silicon Valley or New York City and everything would come to me. That's what they would say. And, and I thought you were, that was you were around like, uh, you know, Dave McClure, he's a big name in, in venture capital. And you guys had a bunch of big companies come through 500 startups like Twilio, a bunch of, you know, well-known businesses. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess there was validation to that because you guys were getting your name out there. So people wanted to come to you. Yeah, but, you know, yes, absolutely. But the thing that people don't understand, I think sometimes what people overlook is that like those big names, all of us, we came from small towns. Like, like I came from Ashburn. Dave came from West Virginia. I forget the town. Like he was born in West Virginia and he grew up in, in, in a small town in, in Maryland right? That's the story of everybody in Silicon Valley. That's the story of everybody, you know? And so like for all of us that are above our thirties, we, you know, we did have to go elsewhere to make a name for ourselves. That's how it was. But for people today, I really believe this with all my heart. And that's why we're betting so much money on investing in other companies outside of the Valley. Now it's like, now you don't have to do that. For example, there's a huge payments company called Dwalla, um, D-W-O-L-L-A. Dwalla's huge, huge, huge. And it didn't, you know, it looks like a Silicon Valley company, but actually it started in Des Moines, Iowa, and the majority of their operations and staff are still in Des Moines, right? Companies like Own Local, which, you know, is a company we invested in, uh, it's in Austin now, but they started in, um, if I remember right, uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, if I remember right, I really believe that what AOL was to what America Online was to Ashburn, I really believe that every city out there has its AOL, or if it doesn't already, it will have its AOL. And that's just because you really can build companies anywhere. And so we've learned that driving around this year, we've learned that talent is equally distributed across the country. We've learned that ambition is equally distributed. But what's not equally distributed is access to money, you know, access to functional expertise. And that's what we're on a mission to build now. And so we've been sort of taking our friends to all these different places um, and, and you know, trying to get them to get a, a sense of like what all these other cities are like. And, and it's been fun. So I, I mean, I, I know we're really fortunate, though. We're definitely really fortunate to be able to do fun stuff, meet great people, and be able to work along the way. It's just been cool. I forget who said it once, but somebody once said, somebody way smarter than all of us once said, once you find yourself on the side of the major majority, question everything, right? So mm -hmm. like I was that way, and I think Dana was that way. Like in our in our past lives, we, we wanted the bigger house and the fancy SUV and like all that stuff. I mean, but then you realize it doesn't really make you happier. Actually, you know what my one of my favorite personal things is of this year? And I don't know. I, I think I've, I've said this to you before, Danny, too. Is like one of my favorite things of, about this tour is that I don't think – like if you look at the photos that we've been able to post, like they're not really doctored. They're coming right off of our iPhones. And the thing that I'm really proud of personally is that the number one comment we get from people just out of the blue, they'll stop us and be like, you guys seem like you're happy. And And I think – that's really cool. We are happy. We like we don't we don't need things. Dana, you're happy too, right? Absolutely. I think <laughs> the happiest I've ever been. 
Really? And talk to me about y'all's work situation, because you guys had never lived together. Alyssa and I hadn't lived together either. And so just being real, sometimes it's really hard working with your significant other on the road. Alyssa and I aren't just traveling together. We're around each other in the same small room every day, all day for the past two and a half years since we've been married. And there's been these all out yell matches because whatever, I accidentally deleted a guest blog that she was writing for, you know, a a site that was going literally the worst fight we've ever had. Like I went outside and I was embarrassed because our neighbors were like, are you guys okay? Um, You know, I'm just, it it happens. It was our first year of marriage. So I'm interested to hear, interested to hear from you guys. What has been some of the things that you've learned working together uh, on the road? I'm, I'm looking at Dana and waiting to see what she says. Oh boy. Um, actually, it's, I think what you're experiencing is probably really normal. You, you are immediately thrusted into an environment where you are around each other all of the time. Paul and I have gotten really good about checking ourselves and we just need us time. Mm-hmm. The flip side of that is that when we're on tour in these cities, it is nonstop from 8 a.m. to probably 10 p.m. And we're around other people. So for the most part, there's a lot of uh, external interaction yeah. And then by the time we get to the weekend, we've used all of our words and we are just <laughs> we are just spent. And so the next two days we just drink a lot of wine and bourbon around a campfire and Yeah, yeah so it, But but I think one of the things you're good at though cuz like when I get fried, I like shut down. And I think what you're really good at Dana is that you you're like let's go on a hike, let's go here, let's go there. And I think that's super that's been a huge Paul's like, let's veg and watch some Netflix. Yeah, not even, man. I'm like, no, let's just sleep a little bit. That'd yeah. be cool. And and Dana's like, we're going to climb a mountain today. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that's been really cool though, because I think it gets us outside and it gets us seeing stuff and being active. And but yeah, I mean, look, those fights that you're talking about, they happen. I. <laughs> and, one time and, and i just want to say i want to hear your story but i just i just want to jump in there and say i say that just to paint a realistic expectation because if i ever try to say you know we just have it's been peachy 100 percent all the time you know people be like you're full of crap um oh, yeah. but oh, yeah. but i would like to just on the opposite spectrum of that wouldn't trade our lifestyle for the world i love working with Alyssa. i love that i'm feel so fortunate and that when you know when i think of what i'm grateful for it's the fact that we get to wake up and work together every day and be our own bosses. And, uh, it's amazing. Anyway, go ahead. Well, you know, on that note real quick, I was texting Dana this morning so that we had to take the truck into the Ford dealer for like some maintenance or whatever. And I had to ride the Metro, uh, back into the city uh, during rush hour this morning. And, and Dana, Dana's still in bed. I don't even know if you want me to tell people that anyway. So she's still in bed (laughs) too late. And so I'm like texting her in this train and it is just packed. Like, like there was this there was this like old lady, like in my face, mean mugging me because like I was in her space on this train with a thousand other people. And I texted Dana and I was like, I never, never want to be in a position where I have to make this commute looking this unhappy with like these people, you know, whatever. And so anyway, yeah, like that freedom is so key and you can, and it's so accessible that like, I can't stress it enough. And I think you're, you're, you're doing the same thing. So, but uh, one of the funny, uh, fights just to make sure that people know that it's not always unicorns and butterflies and, and teddy bears. I forget what we were fighting about, but we were driving west across through Joshua Tree National Forest somewhere. Oh, this is the best. I think it was Joshua Tree or something. Anyway, like we are arguing. We're in the truck going down the highway at like 65 miles an hour, whatever it was, and just – right? And then all of a sudden, we're going up this hill, and the truck stops. 
And I'm like, what the fuck? You know, like I'm just like, and, and then sure enough, the truck ran out of gas. Neither oh, of us actually man. noticed that it ran out of gas. Now, this, it, it gets even worse. So we like, you know, the momentum, you know, burns off. We're now at the top of this little hill. It's like rolling hills at that part of the, the, the highway. And there's like nobody else around. No cell phone service. There's no cell phone service. Luckily, there's a call box across the highway there. So I'm like, I'm not talking to Dana. Dana's like, I'm not talking to you. I'm laughing because I'm like, this is so much karma happening right now. Because apparently I was the wrong one. So anyway, so she like runs across the street to make the call. And here I am like, I'm like just like stomping my feet around, walking around. You couldn't even plan this. So as I turn around and look at the truck and the trailer, we're like in the middle of nowhere. And behind us, right where we had come to a stop, there's this really old billboard. I mean, it must have been like 50 years since a human had touched it. And it literally said, welcome to nothing, Arizona. (laughs) (laughs) And so anyway, long story short, that's awesome. Yeah. Fights, fights happen. You know, I, you know, I think the reality, it's just like with any relationship, right? With any relationship, you got to like figure out how to work through that stuff. And I think for Dana and I, like, I think the phrase we always use is, all right, what's it going to take to reset? Yeah. Like, what's it going to take to reset? Sometimes it's a nap. Sometimes it's a bottle. And then 30 minutes Sometimes it's a hug. Yeah. Sometimes (laughs) all three. Sometimes all three. Yeah, we have a little custom rule where we don't talk about any finance-related stuff or stressful conversations unless there's, like, wine or chocolate uh, nearby. And so that's just – that's actually been a really great thing to implement, very practical within our marriage, and it's, you know, it's worked out pretty well. (laughs) That's, That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. So I want to talk about wrap up here in a second, but I want to talk about the tech tour real quick. So how many stops did you guys do this last year? Um, it's kind of cool because one of my co-founders from Campground Booking actually sent me y'all's link for y'all's yeah. tour and he came to one of y'all's meetups and, and I thought that was pretty sweet uh, what you guys were doing. So talk to me about you know some of the cool things that have happened this year, stops you guys have done and what are the plans for next year? Yeah, so we, we visited 41 cities, uh, like where we met your co-founder was Port Huron, Michigan. So we, we've been to 41 cities this year. We've got two more to go this, this year. So we'll be in Columbus, Ohio next week and then Wichita, Kansas, uh, the first week of December, I think. Um, and, and so what we've been doing is just kind of uh, it's usually three to four days of just heavy, heavy programming for entrepreneurs, investors, elected officials, economic developers. And we end up doing like workshops and, you know, brown bags and keynotes for the community on why entrepreneurship is important, why technology is important, that sort of thing. Um, for next year, we're doing two things. Um, we're, you know, we're going to keep traveling full time, but um, we're, we're dialing the number of formal stops back to about a third. So we're going to do somewhere between 12 and 15 cities next year. Um, but we're going to start to focus more energy on like building, um, some, some interesting online communities for the entrepreneurs. So we want to really, we're spending a lot of time thinking about how do you connect entrepreneurs in places like Butte, Montana with their peers in Tulsa and Myrtle beach. Um, and how do you connect the community leaders in those same areas, uh, in those same cities with their peers as well. And so, um, we've got some interesting kind of, uh, plays like, just to kind of fast forward a little bit, what I kind of think we're going to be doing over the next year is like at 500 startups, we built a really interesting mentor network for the people we funded. Um, so anywhere you were on the planet, if we funded you, you could reach out to our network of mentors who like we police them to make sure they helped you. I kind of want to do that again. So can, but- you, can you explain real quick for somebody who doesn't know what was 500 mentors? Uh, yeah. So 500 startups. I'm sorry, was 500 a- startups. Yeah. So 500 startups was a venture firm or is a venture firm. It's still around today. 
Um, and, you know, we're probably one of the most active investors in the world, you know, investing in hundreds of companies a month, that sort of thing. Um, and, and so I'm really proud of that stuff. It, you know, Dave and Christine and the rest of the team are doing a great job there. Um, so if you're looking to raise money for a company, uh, and you know, that's who you want to go talk to and there's, there's other firms too, and that's, that's what they do. Um, I, I you know, I think I kind of want to build the same network of mentorship that we built. Um, but for people that may not always be thinking about huge venture scales, I mean, I think sometimes people talk about the phrase they use is lifestyle business, but like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like if you're building a company that's going to make you a $5,000 a month salary, that's awesome. And if, you know, you're working on something that's going to, you know, employ 10 people and pay them all $10,000 a month, that's awesome. And so ultimately what we want to build is sort of a mentor network and, you know, content to help those people, um, that, you know, either don't want to think about venture capital or don't need to. Like if you're a company in Myrtle Beach or um, Tulsa or Missoula or Albuquerque, I just kind of want to um, help you build that business. And whether you need access to money through, you know, that mentor network that we build or access to functional expertise, like ultimately what I'm trying to do is scale this thing past me and Dana. That, that's the goal. Because um, like, you know, we don't know it all. I and if, if this is still sort of unclear, it's kind of because it is, right? Like yeah, we you're started still figuring it out. Yeah, I mean, we thought we were only going to six cities. Like <laughs> that's what we thought. The night we pulled into this magical new airstream, he said, "No more than six cities this year." Yeah, and then yeah. forty-one. But, the fan, but we can't stop. The the people we're meeting along our tour and, and the companies we're meeting, they're they're incredible, and there's so much out there, and and so that's what keeps us going to the next place because we just can't get enough. Yes. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm going to be in Austin until like February. See that you're going to be in Lubbock. Maybe I can talk you down into coming to Austin or something like that during that time, and we can hang out. But if I wanted to come to one of uh, y'all's meetups, do they uh, or one of the week long events? Do they cost? Is some of, is some of the stuff free? Uh, how does it work? Uh, no, everything is free. So we we our goal in every market is to make the events as open, inclusive, and accessible as possible. Um, so all you got to do, like the easiest way to find an event is just to go to our website. So if you go to resultsjunkies.com, you can click on the tech tour link and, um, we need to update that with some of the 2017 stops, but, uh, you can just kind of keep an eye on that or sign up for a newsletter and we'll tell you when, when it's coming. Um, so that's, that's the way you can do that. If you want to visit other places and let's say you want to just kind of really, you know, meet other entrepreneurs and, and, and that sort of thing, you can also join us on the tour. So, um, there's also a link on the website for joining us on the tour. And, uh, um, yeah, so there's, there's lots of stuff there. We write, we write content and publish pictures almost every day. Um, frankly, we're aspiring to be you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the last, the last question I have for you guys. Oh, and by the way, uh, we're hosting the first RV entrepreneur summit in February, just outside of Austin, um, in later February. So if you guys happen to be in the area, I would love to have you guys there. It's just going to be like, I don't know, 30 rigs come out and some people who are thinking about jumping in the lifestyle. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, that would be fun. Yeah. yeah. But one of the questions I ask every episode is what does success look like for you guys in this lifestyle as you're out in the airstream, you know, meeting with other investors, entrepreneurs, what does success look like for you guys? Oh, that's a good question. That is a deep question. Like <laughs> world peace. Yeah. Um, I, I, my, I think my, well, what's your, you go first yeah. and, I'll, and I'll tell you, like, there's no wrong answer. What, what's success for you? I think success for this tour is no for you, for me. Yeah. Oh, I just want to be happy. There you go. This tour makes me happy. Yeah. 
that see that's that's real i think for me i want i want professional freedom right like i want to be able to i want to be able to spend time with the people i love and and help other people that are trying to do big things um and i think the rv really helps us go do that um plus you really can't be you really can't be like I don't know if you're allowed to curse on podcasts. I'm gonna just do it anyway. Yeah, you, you, really, you really can't be an asshole in an RV, like <laughs> right? Like I just want to be a good person, helping other people and spending time with the, with the you know with my family and the people I love. So um, yeah, that's what success is. I love that. Well, thank you guys so much for taking time to be on the show. Uh, people can learn more at resultsjunkies.com. What's a good uh, social media hookup with you guys on? Uh, I, I'm Paul Singh on Twitter, P-A-U-L-S-I-N-G-H. What's yours? I'm Dana Duncan, D-C, D-A-N-A-D-U-N-C-A-N, Awesome. D-C. And I'll link up to both of those in the show notes. Thanks again, guys. I uh, hope to hook up with Thanks, y'all man. in 2017. Hopefully we'll see you out on the road somewhere. Sounds good. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed that episode with Paul and Dana. If you want to check out the show notes, head on over to heathandalyssa.com forward slash episode 35. That's episode spelled out and the number 35, and you can find all the links over there. Again, we'd love to have you at the RV Entrepreneur Summit this coming February 24th through 26th in Fredericksburg. It's going to be awesome, and we'll be releasing tickets shortly at our blog at heathandalyssa.com. I'll see you guys next week on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast. Podcast.